from Kurtco Media. There's no place like Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood Unscripted, the Stuck at Home edition. I'm Scott Talal, your host from the Malibu Film Society. Our guest today is Emmy Award-winning producer and choreographer Mandy Moore from the hit NBC TV series, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and most famously for not being that Mandy Moore. You're stuck at home mm -hmm. and you're a dancer. Kinetic energy is your life. How are you not just blowing the walls off the building? I mean, it's a little devastating for sure, but like most everybody else, I'm just trying to take the time to, okay, you know, maybe go on some walks, spend a bit more time doing things that I haven't had a chance to do because I've been luckily so busy for a while. So I'm learning to play guitar. Wow. That's very exciting. And I'm pretty terrible at it so far. My dad's teaching me and he's very patient. Um, so yeah, been trying to do that actually in my time. Yeah, and I understand moonwalking in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, always. I mean, every night, my, I live with my sister right now and uh, every night we cook and it's hysterical because she's always laughing at me. I'm doing some sort of moonwalk or salsa dancing or something while I'm making the chicken. I have to, you know, you're a dancer. I got to do it. You know, one of the things that really strikes me, not just about your work, but I watched the cable series on Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon and Michelle Williams' performance. Every move she made was that of a dancer. Yeah. Does it seep into your movement the way you, you carry yourself? Oh, 100%. I, I don't know if because I am a dancer, I can also sense this in other people, but I can spot a dancer a million miles away just by the way they walk, you know, or what they're wearing or how they have their hair on top of their head, or they're wearing a one leg up in their pants, you know, yep, that's a dancer. Just the way that they carry themselves, just their poise, their energy, you can usually tell. So let's talk about Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Talk to us about how you first got involved. It's actually kind of a funny story. Um, I was asked to go to a lunch for another project. And Austin Winsberg happened to also be at that lunch. The showrunner. Yes, the showrunner, Austin. And we walked in and I recognized him from something, but I didn't know what it was. And he said to me, ah, Mandy, you actually choreographed my best friend's first dance. And he was in this number that I had choreographed years ago. At a wedding? Yes, at a wedding. And he was in the number and looking at his face, I thought, oh, you know what? I remember you. You were a rascal in that dance. I, I remember very clearly. And we just hit it off and we had exchanged contact. And about a week later, he reached out and said, hey, I think I'm going to have this pilot that's going to get picked up. Love for you to read it. See if you want to be involved. And I actually read it in my car. I pulled over to the side of the road and opened the email. Thankfully. And I know, can you imagine <laughs> just me driving down, thinking about all I do is win, win, win? You know, of course, because that's <laughs> how it works for me. When I read something, I immediately think things in my head. But yeah, I read it and I called him right back and just said, I'm in if you want me. So um, the rest is history. <laughs> well, let's talk about that history. Take us from there through to the filming of the pilot, because your role was much larger than just a choreographer. You got involved as a producer from the get-go. Yeah, it was really a perfect timing slash everybody on the same page kind of situation where our director for the pilot, Richard Shepard, he and Austin involved me very early on because, you know, part of a pilot obviously is 
figuring out the world. What is the language, the visual language of the world? What is the cadence, the tempo? How does it all look, feel, vibe? And when it comes to dance, that's even, I think, more of a challenge (laughs) to figure out because dance can live in so many different ways in a world. And early on, the three of us, basically the two guys said to me, well, how are we going to do this? And I said, well, the only way I know how to do this is to sit at a table and we need to talk through what you like about dance. What do you not like about dance? What have you seen? What links have you looked at? Let's watch things that really affected you when it came to dance. And then I can start to understand what you see in your head when you say certain things to me about dance, because neither one of them are dancers. Mm -hmm. One of the most difficult things as a choreographer is to communicate and understand what people think in their minds when they say dance, because it's very different for a lot of people. We've probably spent three or four weekends, hours a day, just sitting, talking about dance, talking about how you shoot dance, talking about what worked in certain films or television scenes that they liked. And from that, I was able to really understand, in my mind, what kind of a world we needed to create. Mm-hmm. And then once I knew that, you know, I, I could understand from Austin, he just really loved these longer shots, more head to toe, a bit more cinematic. Definitely didn't want the world to ever feel like a fantasy. It always had to feel very grounded and rooted. Richard's thing was always about these characters making sure that they were moving out of emotion, not just gratuitous movement because it looked good on TV. And that was the most incredibly beneficial time for me as a choreographer and as a producer because also then I was able to chime in and say, great, because I think the world could live in this way as well. And I can make an informed decision as to like how we're going to shoot this stuff, how we're going to create it. What is it going to feel like, look like? Then we went to Vancouver and we shot and we crossed our fingers about how that was all going to work out. And luckily it did. I think we created a really unique language for dance. Now you've been a producer before, but those have been on more reality shows like So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars. This is a very different kind of show. And for those who have never seen this, show. First of all, I strongly encourage you to watch it. I love it. It is so wonderful and so different. But dance is so integral in this show. It's song and dance. I read that you produced over 60 (laughs) choreographed numbers in the 12 episode first season. Yes. Tell me about it. (laughs) You know, it's so funny because at the end, actually, right as we were shooting the finale, Austin looked at me one day and he said, how many of these did we do? You know, because it's when you're in kind of the factory line of shooting, because as live television and variety is similar in that our turnaround is every seven days. In Zoe's, we were every eight days was a turnaround. So I was used to working quickly, but certainly not with the amount of volume. And I credit great writing and I credit great song selection and an amazing cast and a showrunner who loved dance. And he just was appreciative of every sort of idea we'd throw out together. And he and I are very aligned. Thank goodness. Because I Mm -hmm. think if we were not aligned in how we feel about dance, the tone of dance, the way you want it to be told through the camera movement, you know, I probably would have been in the wrong job. (laughs) So thankfully, we were just very aligned. And what I would spit out, he then would be like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. And then we'd involve the directors. And obviously, that whole collaboration was really incredible. Each and every episode, a different director, which was kind of neat too. I would imagine that as the season started that you have the luxury of having several scripts to (laughs) work on, but then time catches up with you. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) I I heard that by the end of this process, you got the script like two days before you had to shoot a scene. 
Oh, yeah. That's two days to choreograph something. Yes, it was nuts. I would get an outline maybe a couple days before that, but it was like any television show. By the time you get to the end, you're just buried in everything. And the thing that was so lovely about Austin as well and the writers is that they were just so communicative. Any ideas they had immediately as they had them, they just kind of throw my way. So at least I could start thinking about, oh, okay, that's a fast song, or that's a slow song, or that's only two people in it, or ooh, I'm going to have to start casting 30 dancers, you know, because that process takes a very long time. You can't do that overnight. So anytime of like little nuggets, I, I felt like I was like a little mouse begging for crumbs <laughs> towards the end, you know, any sort of information I could get. I was just like, yes, I'll take it. I'll run with it. <laughs> but I understand that you actually didn't work on the steps until after everything else had been worked out. <laughs> they were not something you went in with. They were what you ended up with after after you had worked out everything else. Yeah. I don't know if this is unique to myself as a choreographer creator, because obviously I'm not in any other choreographer's brain and how they do it. But I've found that I have a really difficult time creating steps if I don't know why I'm creating the step. I need to Mm -hmm. understand the emotion. I need to understand what I'm trying to say with the movement within the scene. And so for me, steps are always last. I have a million questions before I can ever even move my body. And then when I start moving my body, I at least know a lane that I'm trying to go down because I'm trained in a lot of different styles also. So when you say, okay, let's just dance, I have to (laughs) know what lane that is, or I just feel like I'm on the 405 and I could just go anywhere I want. So those questions and those kinds of very in-depth cerebral type conversations with directors and writers and the showrunners are the only way that I know how to kind of put myself somewhere so that then I can create. What you're describing is it's character driven. It originates from character. It originates from story as opposed to originating from movement. Yeah. And I think as a young choreographer, I didn't understand how important that is. But especially where I am now, I realize that it's the only way to create. I have to answer who, what, where, when, why. Or they're just steps. And I found that if I can answer those things, who, what, where, when, why, then I understand that my movement has more depth, therefore is better in a way. You know, it just is not dumb moves for no reason. I have to have a reason to do the moves and it's all born out of emotion from the character. When you were a young dancer, I mean, you started doing this when you were a kid up in Colorado ski country. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Small studio in the middle of the Colorado mountains. (laughs) Yeah. I look back and I can see in my life three or four people who said, I know you have this dream of being in radio, television, and film, and I support that, and I support what you want to do with your life. Who was that for you, and when did it occur? Well, definitely, I would have to say my parents, no matter what, because they are both in theater, and I was very lucky to grow up in a household that was full of great storytelling, music. I'm the only dancer (laughs) in Mm -hmm. in the family, but I, at a very young age, was exposed to a lot of really great theater, and... I mean, other than my parents, so many people along the way, I would say my very first dance teacher, Kim DeGrosso, used to tell me to make up my own solos. And I Mm -hmm. credit her (laughs) with my choreography gene because she is really the one who cultivated kind of that abandon you feel when you create. And I never felt judged for my probably not very good moves when I was eight years old, but she really cultivated that creativity and that feeling of play, which I think is really important when you're creating. And when I got to LA, I was able to assist lots of really great people. And one of the ladies I assisted was Carrie Ann Anaba, who is actually, funny enough, a judge on Dancing with the Stars now. 
And, you know, I credit her with really teaching me, I guess you call it the ropes of the business, but learned so much from her about how to create on a schedule, how to speak with production, which then kind of turned into how to become a producer. And I was very, very thankful to work under her for a long time because she's a very smart lady. And you guys met on one of the Austin Powers movies? Actually, funny enough, we met at a dance class we used to take together all the time. But then, yes, fast forward, we were in those movies together and ended up working together on American Idol and the first couple seasons of So You Think You Can Dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a fun relationship. She's still a dear friend. You talk about all of the different characters and, and what was it, 60 main characters that you would work with on a regular basis on Zoe? Yeah, I don't know if it was quite 60, but over the season, for sure. I mean, we had our main cast. And then obviously our guest stars and then multitudes of dancers. Holy smokes, lots of dancers. Aside from the people who were professional dancers, most of these are actors who have never sung or danced before on camera. You know, I think working with actors is also something that I didn't have a ton of experience with. I've done a lot of film working with actors, but not a lot of television working with actors, especially not on this sort of time frame. So what I learned early on is that it's a lot easier if I... Find out how these people move naturally and build on that. You know, I'm not in eight days going to be able to teach someone to become something they're not, you know, and it also doesn't feel authentic then. It feels like I'm putting on something onto their bodies and making them be something that they're not naturally. And so Mm -hmm. I really tried to hone that skill and learn how to see their little intricacies of how they move and how they learn. Because, you know, obviously everyone's different. Some people are very particular when they learn and they need to know every count. Other people are very big picture oriented and just kind of want to move through the space. And all of it is so rooted in their characters. These actors know these characters inside and out. And it was just so lovely to go into a room with them and, you know, say my idea about what I thought something should be and then hear what their idea was. And through that process, learn how to come to whatever it ultimately ended up being, which I think was a collaboration and is the way it should be. When you're working with veterans like Peter Gallagher and Mary Steenburgen and, and Lauren Graham, I guess from an audience standpoint, you don't necessarily expect them to be perfect. Yeah, and that's the beauty. Part of why I was drawn to Zoe's initially is that we wanted a world where people of all shapes, sizes, ages could express themselves through song and dance. And that that dance didn't necessarily need to be something that you as an audience may think is dance. So it doesn't necessarily need to be kicks and turns and leaps and jumps. That's something like Mary, for example, and one of her earlier numbers in I think episode three, it's a very sad song. It's about her feeling like she's an outsider and not understanding how to fit into this life that is kind of no longer hers. And something as beautiful as her just sitting down and opening her arms so gorgeous on Mary mm-hmm. and she's not a dancer. Every day she come to rehearsal so stressed out, but she loved the idea that this woman, this character could move her body and express her body in a way that is dance that may mm-hmm. not be just kicks and turns, but is something with timing and emotion and physicality all rooted in these feelings and these emotions. And of course you get Peter Gallagher. Are you kidding me? This guy is the best. He's just so good whenever he moves and just his instincts. And, you know, I'd always laugh with him and say, gosh, you just have so much swag. And he'd be like, I don't even know what that is. But, you know, he's just got all this feeling about him when he moves. And the beauty of him is that I'll give him an idea and he kind of flies with how he wants to express that idea. I'm not in there trying to tell him it has to be exactly like this. But when I see what looks great, I'll say, okay, Peter, now we have to do that. We have to do it the same every time. 
And, you know, of course, Lauren is incredible, has impeccable timing, the way that she found such beautiful humanity in Joan, in that character, Mm -hmm. and also such sarcasm, but also such heartfelt friendship between she and Zoe. It was fun. And also Lauren in the beginning said, dance stresses me out. I don't know if I can do it. And, you know, seeing her do satisfaction, you know, I think she was in episode four or three. She was hysterical and so good. She looked amazing. Is dance fantasy the right phrase that we can operate with? Yeah. You know what we used to call them? We'd call them zoality, zoality and reality. Because <laughs> Zoe is after an earthquake, given the superpower of being able to hear people's thoughts, but only in the form of dance and song. Peter in particular, I think it's interesting, in his characters outside of zoality, he is someone suffering from a degenerative neurological disease, which has left him basically silent and has already lost much of his movement. That juxtaposition was so fun to play with. You know, in these zoalities, a lot of what I think makes Zoe's really cool is that we're trying to figure out how we get in and out of these dualities each time. So for someone like Peter, his character, Mitch, is sitting on the couch, no movement, silence. And then in the intro of the song, you just see these little bits where he starts to emerge or wake up in some way. Mm-hmm. And finding those transitions were really fun with Peter. Like There was one also a little later in the season where you see him through a window, just stand up and kind of start jamming and moving and dancing. And he's so good. He's such an incredible actor. To work through those transitions with him, we would call them bridges between reality and zoality, was really fun. And then that always informed how much dance we were going to do in the actual zoality or the performance. And you also have Alex Newell as Zoe's neighbor. Did you work with him on Glee? I did, actually. I did one season of Glee, and that was one of the seasons he was on. And so I had worked with him a bit on Glee. That Glee season was crazy. I worked with all of those kids at some point, but it was nice to kind of re-know him and get to know him and talk about a talent. Holy moly, he can sing and move and dance. Great timing. He was a real joy to work with. And on the subject of inclusion, Mm -hmm. the American Sign Language dance number. Talk to us about that. Stunning. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. That number has meant a lot to a lot of people. It's interesting that it has really permeated a lot of different kinds of people too. It really moved a lot of people. Early on in the season, Austin <laughs> texted me. He said, you got to call me. And I called him back right away. He said, I have the best idea ever. You're going to do a whole number in ASL, dance in ASL. No lyrics, only music, and them doing ASL and dance. I thought, oh, that's going to be very beautiful. And then I immediately started sweating because I thought I have no idea how to do that because <laughs> I don't know ASL. So I knew a huge part of this was going to be learning not only the translation of what the ASL was going to be to the song, which was Fight Song by Rachel Platten, but then also figure out a way of combining dance and movement in our language, Zoe's language, that didn't stomp on or disrespect the beauty of ASL. That was a big one for me. Because it's so fluid to begin with. Yes. And I was guilty of this in the beginning as well, that I thought, oh, this is a no-brainer. ASL and dance is going to go beautifully together because it is so fluid and because it is so gestural and the textures and the dynamics are very aligned with dance. But come to find out that is not the case. (laughs) It is very different. And many of the 
gestures that you may do in ASL can look like dance. Therefore, you don't want to add any extra dance <laughs> that doesn't need to be there. So I felt mm -hmm. like in that number, it was more about me creating a narrative that had staging that supported the ASL and the joining because basically it's about Abigail speaking out to her dad and saying, hey, I'm all right. You don't have to always protect me so much. I am a big girl now. I can figure it out. And so are all of us. We are all here. We stand strong, united as the deaf community. And you don't have to pretend that we're less than because we're not. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of, honestly. And we hired 10 deaf performers from all over the country and they came to Vancouver and we created that number together. And I don't know how much you know about ASL, but it's not a direct translation. So you can't just go, okay, we'll translate fight song because it's a language everyone translates it and feels it different. Just as you and I speak differently about the same mm -hmm. subject, the gestures and the movements of their hands are different for each person. So part of it was figuring out what is going to be our collective way of saying this particular emotion. And that was one of the most fascinating things, honestly, is figuring out how 11 people can all say the same thing and then seeing them debate which gesture it was going to be and not knowing ASL and having these translators translating all of it, it was a really incredible experience. I'm really glad it went the way it did and we were able to get it out on camera. Well, just from a technical standpoint, you have people who have varying levels of hearing loss all the way to complete mm -hmm. with no ability to hear at all. How do they perform to music? Well, a big part of that scene was creating systems and processes for the performance to happen. So if you and I were dancing next to each other, or we were doing ASL together, we could use our peripheral vision to be near the same time together. It takes a lot mm -hmm. of practice, but we could do that. And that was a big part of it is we would stand in a circle and I would count in the music. You know, I'd give them a sign that gave them the downbeat. And then we would all do it together to start to feel the correct flow and timing. And then when we got on set, we had to place them all into their positions and they always had to make sure that they had someone in an eye line that could keep the beat or the tempo. So I would mm -hmm. be on one side and my associate Jillian would be on the other side. And so they would use their peripheral to understand kind of where the downbeat would be or certain parts that we knew had to be very clean to the music, I guess I'd say. But then also part of the beauty is that they're not exactly together because no one is when they're in a group speaking. You know, very rarely do you have a moment where people all say the exact same thing at the exact same time. So part of it was accepting that beauty too, because that's not usually the way that dance or movement is presented on television. Usually it's very clean, it's very thought out, and the moves are crisp because the camera loves that. It looks great when things are really clean. So it was kind of a different way of looking at it. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old, and today I felt like I'm magic read extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being it's questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies. Wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that are... The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in life. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. 
Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkcode.com slash a moment of your time. Did you find over the course of the season that your process was evolving? And if so, how? Yes, 100% my process evolved through the season. First and foremost, I just had to streamline the process a bit more that I knew that I, through the days, would have to schedule time to create, which is maybe not always the most fun for a creator. (laughs) You know, when someone says Mm -hmm. you have to create from 9 to 11, but in that television schedule... As a department head, there's so much to do that I would have to schedule what I would call creative time for my team, where we would just do kind of our uh, physical creation, where we dance together with the music and I'd make up the moves. And then there'd be times where I had to book skeleton crew. So I'd have a group of people come in and I'd teach them movements so I could see what we created if I liked it and if it was going to work. And then, you know, you'd have to schedule, okay, we have to cast for this hour. And it was very right brain, left brain. (laughs) And once I learned that I do better with a schedule and I have to have a schedule in that sort of a turnaround, we got better week after week. We had these huge calendars that we had all these sticky notes, color-coded sticky notes, because I'm also very color-coordinated. And (laughs) you just start to look at the board and you go, okay, I've got blue there. And that means creation time. That's fun. Now, you've also been quoted as saying that choreographers are being defined very differently right now. I moved to Los Angeles in 1994. And at that time, dance and choreography was coming out of the great dance films of the 80s. And music videos. Yes, and music videos, MTV. And there was a real lull in the early 90s into the ends of the 90s with dance. And I don't Mm -hmm. quite know why. I know there's tons of articles written about it, but I I think it was just maybe oversaturated. The right people weren't creating. They didn't want dance. And so that early time when I was here in LA, it was very uh, odd. Because I kind of felt like, okay, I moved here at the wrong time. <laughs> Nobody wants dance. New York was busting and doing their thing, but LA didn't really have a lot of dance. And then shows like So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars started and really started putting choreographers and creators in the main language when talking about that show. You know, for a long time, I think people, since really the golden age, I mean, of course, you know, all the, the great MGM musicals and who created and danced in those. But for a long time, I don't think you knew maybe who choreographed and who created these things. And, you know, as soon as So You Think and Dancing with the Stars came up, we as choreographers, our names were alongside who was dancing. And so it was it was neat. To be a part of that generation of choreographers that uh, people go, oh, it's a Mandy Moore number. Ah, you know, I don't think that would have happened in earlier years. But to take on this kind of project is completely different. And you're taking it into a whole new area. Yeah. Being a choreographer and a producer, I I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, that is actually really cool because I've always looked at producing. And again, I could be wrong, but I've always looked at producing as this almost figuring out how you can help build the house with what tools you have in your belt. How can you look at the big picture and help with whatever might be lacking? And because dance is my expertise and choreography and creation is my expertise, I feel like I have a different tool than a lot of people might. And in this show in particular, I'm so thankful to Austin that he realized that I would have some information that maybe somebody else might not have. But your role is going beyond just choreography and being a producer because you're heavily influencing the direction of these dance scenes. Yeah, that was a really interesting thing to navigate with this show because 
in Zoe's numbers happened so organically out of scenes. So a lot of the times with the directors, they'd be like, okay, well, where does your job stop and my job starts? And have you staged this scene? But a lot of times you don't stage scenes until the day. And I'd already created something because I have to rehearse it. And they don't, they, you obviously you can't just dance on the day. So it was a really cool process of working with the directors to figure out how we get in and out of those scenes, all the while also trying to keep the language of the show and knowing that these numbers were going to, for the most part, be very long one takes. We didn't shoot coverage. We had planned everything prior to shooting. It's not one of those shows where you put a bunch of cameras on it and you figure it out in post. We knew from the beginning Mm -hmm. that wasn't going to be us. So I worked really closely with the directors and it was awesome. It's a very interesting thing as a choreographer. That choreographer-director relationship is everything. If you don't give and take with each other, it can be like you're stomping on each other's toes the whole time. So I found that to be really interesting interesting because I didn't have a lot of experience with that other than working on La La Land with Damien. I worked very closely with him, obviously, but in television, I didn't have a lot of that experience. So that was new to me. I do want to talk about La La Land because your big scene opened that movie (laughs) and people outside of Southern California don't understand what this means. When I say you closed down the 101 Hollywood freeway for a daytime shoot. Can you talk to us about that day? Oh, yeah. Well, it was actually two days that we shut it down. And it looked like the 101, but it was the 110 interchange. So good to know. But we'll just let people think it's the 101 because it kind of felt like that. But we shut that down from a Friday night at midnight all the way to Sunday at midnight. And it was one of the most exhilarating terrifying, challenging moments I've ever had. And honestly, I look back at it and I think, I don't even know how we did that. <laughs> you know, I think you're just in the middle of it and you just, you can't believe you're in 104 degree weather. Of course, it's so hot those two days and hundreds of cars, hundreds of extras, dancers. It was the stuff that I think when you dream about making a film, that's the thing that you dream about. And it really, it happened. And it was really so much fun, so much work, but so joyful in the end, right? I still watch the scene and I think, man, we nailed that. Like, we really did. We did a great job. Who knew? Because you read the script and it basically was like, there's a traffic jam and they dance. And then Damien said, don't mess this up. This is our opening scene. So good luck. <laughs> I understand it wasn't originally going to be the opening scene, but after it was filmed, he changed it. Yeah. And actually in some of the test audiences, they had taken it out completely. And he didn't have the heart to tell me until much later because he knew I'd probably just be like, Ugh, oh my gosh. But yeah, they had tested it a bunch without it being in there at all. So can you imagine mm. La La Land almost was La La Land without another day of sun? The reason I wanted to talk about it is because one of the things that's very prevalent and noticeable in this show is the wide range of dance floors that you are working with. You're working with office spaces and homes and apartments, a coffee shop, a church, and outdoor spaces as well. Talk to us about how you adapt to each of those spaces. Do they become part of the design? Yes. So much of what informs the movement, the choreography, how I create is the space. What space are we living in? And that really answers that question where, you know, who, what, where, when, why. I will move differently as a character outside than if I'm inside at a coffee shop or if I'm in the office. Those spaces speak to me as a creator. And I know that there's a certain way that I'm going to have to move, not only because it's specific to say the floor, if I'm dancing on concrete, it's different than if I'm dancing on grass or if I'm dancing downstairs, but 
also just the vibe of the space informs, you know, something I'm in an office, I'm not going to be as free. I don't feel as free. I feel a little bit more staccato or straight and buttoned up and business-like. And all those outer, I guess, energies inform how I feel inside when I create. So yes, it is very, very important that I go to the location scouts and I know what areas I'm supposed to be in because without that, you know, I I can only imagine so much what stairs look like until I've actually been on them. (laughs) So on the tech scouts, there's many times where there's videos of me dancing downstairs and dancing on coffee tables and bars just to feel what it feels like. Now, do you have to get involved with set design as well? Do you have special set pieces created for people to dance off of? Yeah, very much so. And that's what was so great about the production design team. Rusty Smith, he ended up leaving about halfway through, but he and I worked a lot together because obviously if I know three dancers have to stand on this table. I have to make sure it's safe for them, number one. And also that it's aesthetically pleasing, but is able to bear weight. And then also that needs to be built early so that we can practice on it because we don't do well. And I don't do well when we don't have the stuff before the day. I'm definitely a Mm pre-planner. So that whole process was also really great to produce, (laughs) to be able to be a producer and go to Rusty and say, hey, I know that this doesn't shoot for another three weeks, but I'm going to need for you to expedite this because I'm going to need it because I have to rehearse on this day. And I think sometimes without being in that producer role, you don't always have either the ability or the knowledge to be able to say those things. So that really helped. (laughs) Do you ever get any pushback? Not usually. they say this just will not work? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't ever take no for an answer. No, I'm kidding. Um, We had a really lovely production team. I think early on, actually, one of our head carpenters, I think after the first day that we shot dance, and he came up to me with tears in his eyes and he said, when you ask me for something, now I know why. I see why you're asking and why you need it. I was like, yes! Okay, so now you know that I don't ask unless I need it. And if I need it, I really mm-hmm. do. And if we can all bust our buns to get it going, then it works. And I will also work on my end if you say, absolutely, man, there's no way we're going to be able to get it, then I'll move my rehearsal. But that communication, it's everything in a production. You have to be able to give and take and push and pull. Now, are there any stories that you can share about times that you were working with any individual actors about, that's not going to work? <laughs> we got to change that. Um, please. It happened in every number. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's never a perfect science. And actually in the pilot, this is a really good one. Skylar, you know, he plays the character of Max. At the end of the pilot, mm-hmm. Skylar yep, me. he does the Partridge Family song, I think I love you, at the end. And mm-hmm. we have the staircase in the office set. And we had had construction build us a mock-up so we could have it in our dance room to practice. Because obviously they're shooting many times and we can't get down there to practice. So we had the staircase. We'd done this awesome like twirl up the stairs. He's tap dancing and twirling and everyone's happy. We get to set and construction or Rusty or somebody had put a railing straight down the middle of the stairs. And my heart sank because I thought, I know that that is going to severely change what Skylar is going to be able to do up those stairs. And yeah, yes, I know. And then, then of course it was like, oh, well, we wanted to put a railing and I was like, you guys, you have to tell me when you put a railing in the middle of the stairs. And I ended up having to change what he did on the day and it ended up not being as great. He's still amazing. He'd even say this to you, but it was a good learning tool for everyone that day on set because then everyone understood the littlest thing can really affect what happens in the outcomes. And if you ever bring up the railing to Austin, he'll probably start crying. <laughs> you know, he's uh, like, not the railing. So we did lose the railing for the rest of the season. <laughs> what are some of your other favorite memories of this first season? Jeez, 
so many. Working with Jane Levy on episode eight, where Zoe gets the glitch. Jane is Zoe. Yeah. Working with her on episode eight with the glitch and being able to see her sing and dance and just spending that time with her. First of all, I think she's brilliant. She's an incredible actress and is an amazing dancer. (laughs) I just, I would have never known because Zoe doesn't normally get to dance in the numbers. She's more of an observer in the zoality. The glitch is where the whole process reversed and she can only and uncontrollably (laughs) express herself through her own song and dance. Yes, it's so fun. It was so fun to figure out those numbers. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard creating those numbers. Even the crazy number where she comes in right after she has learned that her father's not doing well and where the glitch kind of starts, that number with all those dancers and her in this big open space doing this almost contemporary type dancing was really fun. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, out of 60 numbers, I have to be honest, 60 of them were great. (laughs) I really enjoyed them so much. And I try to find what's incredible and beautiful and satisfying about all of them. Because I think if I didn't, I would really not enjoy my time. (laughs) You know, Mm. I loved working with Peter Gallagher on It's Your Thing. (laughs) It's just with such his number. He's in the greenhouse, basically in the zoality, trying to tell his wife, Maggie, that she should go ahead and do this thing she wants to do. And just the sweetness of his movement and how Zoe connects to her dad and the zoalities and is able to dance with him. I I really enjoyed that moment. And the finale, I have to be honest. The finale is really, really good. The last scene of the whole season is incredible. Now that you have finished the season, now that you have come out of post, what's your takeaway in terms of how this has changed the way that you think about your art and how has it changed your art? Ah, I've grown, I think, a lot as a creator in this season as always. I want more than ever to be able to create from narrative and emotion. And just working with a script, it's the only thing I want to do now. (laughs) You know, it's like, even if I'm doing variety, I think somebody needs to give me a script so I can know what I'm doing. And I... I got better through the season. I can look at my work and see that I learned a lot more about what's clear with dance and emotion and storytelling and what isn't. Because again, I don't think there's a formula with dance. You create it based off of what you're feeling in that moment with that song, with that character. You know, it's not math. It's subjective and the creative process is affected by a lot of different things. So I certainly feel like I grew as a creator especially when it comes to narrative and script and story-based movements. And I really hope we get season two so I can get even better. (laughs) I still have so much to learn. Is there talk in season two about maybe you directing an entire episode? (laughs) Yes, there has been talk of that. It's been thrown around many times and I am very humbled by that idea and terrified, but very excited. I mean, I was actually supposed to direct one of the season one episodes, but when I say we were buried, I think you understand that by that point, we were completely buried and there was no way that I could just uh, say bye to my team and go direct an episode, you know? So that wasn't going to work out in season one. But, you know, after working with all these directors and, and working so closely with them to direct these dance scenes, I, I never thought that I could direct, but now I see I'm like, oh, I think that's actually something that I would not only love to do, but I see what it takes. You know, I would never assume it's easy. I know everything is a challenge, but I would really like to do that at some point. Before we get to our wrap, I just have to ask you, who were your early dance inspirations when you were growing up? I'm a child of the 80s. So obviously, (laughs) anything that had to do with an 80s dance film or a music video, that was an inspiration for me. But also... 
my mom used to go and rent the VHSs of the old movies, the MGM era, and I would sit and watch them all weekend long. So I'm also a kid that has imprinted in my brain all the great musicals, you know, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Singing in the Rain, Bandwagon, anything that had dance and song, I just couldn't stop watching. I love Jerome Robbins. I just think he's one of the greatest storytellers through dance that there is. Obviously, Michael Kidd, Michael Peters, of course, Fosse. I'm very much the child of that time. So I'm very inspired by their work. And what about today's dance scene? You know, I was very lucky to be on a show like So You Think You Can Dance. And I was on it at a time when Mia Michaels was creating incredible work for television. And Wade Robson was the same thing. So I found those guys to be incredible creators. I also I also love concert dance and Alexander Ekman is a great choreographer in the Europe concert dance scene. And then obviously I love Justin Peck. You know, I can't wait to see what he's done with West Side Story with it coming out, a new film. It's hard with dance. I'm inspired by so many different kinds of dancers and creators. And I think every day there's so much content coming out that I look at things sometimes and I think, wow, that's amazing. I think I'm inspired by that too now. <laughs> I know that you're career extends even beyond film and television shows, not to mention the Grammys, the Emmys, the Oscars. You've also done stage stuff with people like Shania Twain and Celine Dion, and you've worked with L.A. Ballet and even Cirque du Soleil. Yes. Are we going to see more of that? You know what's funny is I, I feel like I've always had this weird career where I like did a little bit of everything somehow, and I love live stage. I really do. I would love to get to Broadway at some point if it was the correct show for me and my style. I would love to do that. I also did love working for Cirque. They're so imaginative, so creative, and their production value is obviously incredible. But right now, I really love television. I'm really feeling the television bug and specifically scripted. I really enjoyed my time on Zoe's. And like I said, I hope it comes back again because I'd love to do it again. But I feel like I'm in that weird television brain right now. I'm just like, television <laughs> and film. I mean, don't kid. If a film comes around, I obviously, I love film as well. I love the camera. We are all stuck at home. <laughs> Any final thoughts, anything you want to share with the audience? I mean, I guess we are all stuck at home, right? But I think in these times, we have an opportunity to spend time with ourselves and think about what we love and know. And don't forget to salsa dance while making chicken. You know, it's the best. Scott, I really want you to try a moonwalk tonight <laughs> when you're getting everything ready for dinner and see how you feel. If you can get a little dance involved in there, I guarantee you'll smile. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Our guest today, Mandy Moore, the <laughs> choreographer and producer of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist on NBC. The season finale coming up May 3rd. Can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. Hollywood Unscripted is created by Kurt Co Media and presented in cooperation with the Malibu Film Society. This episode was hosted by Scott Talal, with guest Mandy Moore. Produced and edited by Jenny Curtis. Mastering by Michael Kennedy. The executive producer of Hollywood Unscripted is Stuart Halperin. The Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Eric Dick. Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any special episodes of Hollywood Unscripted Stuck at Home. Stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind. <laughs>